It's a new year. I don't know if you know that or not, if you're aware of that. We went from 2018 to 2019. Some of you were slept through the whole thing, and it just happened. You woke up the next morning like, here we are. It's the next year. Like Brad was saying earlier, 2018 just seemed to fly by, and here we are in 2019, and who knows what this year uh, will be like. I'm hopeful, hopeful to see God using you and myself for his for His glory, for his kingdom. Uh, looking forward to seeing what God use, does uh, through his church here. So, um, so I want to this isn't necessarily like one of those New Year's uh, sermons or series, you know, one of those things where you leave you're feeling really good about yourself or like you're really hopeful, like you're going to lose that 15 pounds that you thought about for the past 20 years that you're finally going to try and lose or, or you're going to read through the New Testament or you're going to read through the entire Bible or you're going to read through it twice or something like that or you're going to listen to every sermon that's ever been preached on the book of Zephaniah or whatever, like all those things that you've made up. You're probably not going to leave here thinking about that, thinking about how to be hopeful with your resolution that you made or you didn't make, but hopefully as you leave here this morning, uh, your mind and your heart and your soul will be in tune with the Lord, seeing his desire for your life, seeing what uh, what makes him angry, and, and living not for those things, but instead living for uh, for what Christ desires of our life. So we're going to read through um, most of the book of Zephaniah together this morning, and I'm going to try and break it down as simply as possible. We're going to study it this week and next week with the hope that, um, that as we um, end next week, we're going to see this uh, rejoicing over us, or this singing over us that's found in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. This new song that begins to sing over us, uh, this change that comes about. But leading up to that moment, you have chapters 1 and 2 and starting in chapter 3 of this kind of gloom or doom and gloom type mentality, this judgment that's coming, uh, this wrath that's foreseen uh, that we're, we're in need of deliverance from. And uh, Zephaniah being a prophet, he hears the word of the Lord and then gets to preach that or gets to share that with God's people saying, here's what you can expect will happen if you continue to live in this way. All right. So Zephaniah chapter one, verse one says this, the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah and son of Hezekiah in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. So we kind of have an understanding already of who Zephaniah is. He has a great ancestry or a, a lineage there that he comes from. He comes from some royalty. King Hezekiah is being one of those guys. He, he comes from a, a great line, uh, one that would be, you would be proud of, that you would proud, be proud to have the name Zephaniah plus the last name that you have. He's, he's a, a prophet during the days of, of King Josiah. Maybe you're familiar with or you remember from 2 Kings chapter 21 and 22 about the story of Josiah being this young guy. I think he was eight years old and he gets put into uh, to the palace to become king. He gets he gets put in the position to be king at eight years old, a young guy. And during his time as ruling as king, uh, there's a reformation that happens. They find documents or they find words, they find written on a scroll, uh, the, the book of the law, the, the words of the Lord. And so, uh, so someone begins reading it to King Josiah. King Josiah is cut to the heart, basically, because of the words that he's hearing, the words from the Lord. He recognizes that the people belonging to God aren't acting as God desires of them. And so with that, he decides, hey, you know what, as king, I'm going to put into action the things that we're supposed to be doing. 
So he takes out all the things that they're not supposed to be doing. He takes away all the Asherah poles, all the things that they've been worshiping. He tries to remove all the Baals or all the false idols, all these things that they've, um, that they've dedicated their lives to. They even had horses that they dedicated to the sun. These horses belong to the sun, not S-O-N, the son of man or the son of God, but the S-U-N, the sun. These horses belong to the sun and, and Josiah, no more. We're not going to have this. These false things, God is not for these things. And so we're going to remove these things. We're going to be worshiping the Lord. He puts into, into practice again the, the act of the Passover. We're going to be celebrating God passing over us, death passing over us, a life being given to us, uh, a life that was ransomed or redeemed through God. We're going to put this back in place and we're going to celebrate these things that God desires for us to celebrate. So King Josiah did a great job. I mean, he was a great king leading in a great reformation, uh, telling the people of God, hey, we belong to God. And so, so, so because we belong to him, we should act as he desires for us to act. If we belong to God and we are his people, chosen by him, uh, belonging to him, then we should be living as he desires for us to live. And then just like the stubborn humans that you know that live in your house or that you work with or that you used to work with or that came for, for the holidays or whatever it was, humans are stubborn. Human nature or sinful nature begins to creep back in. We're not guarding ourselves against temptation through God and His Holy Spirit, through Christ, those types of things. And sin begins to reign again and rule over us again. And our heart begins to be wooed by things of this world. And so we say, let's put into place these practices that make us feel good. Are these things that we think are going to give us the, the outcome that we desire? And so over time, even after the Reformation that Josiah put into place, people began worshiping, not, no longer worshiping God again. They began worshiping other things, putting uh, other religious practices together. In fact, one of the things that Zephaniah kind of preaches against or prophesies against is religious syncretism, which means that uh, we have a religion that the Lord has given to us, but we're blending it with other religions. We're going to mix it together and make this one kind of soup, a religious soup that we want, that we think kind of tastes good. It's got a little bit of everything. You know, it's, it's in the uh, potluck just now. We're going to have this later. It's a soup that kind of has a, a bunch of different ingredients together that when we sip it or when we take a bite of it, we say, this, this really tastes good. I, I like the way that it tastes in my mouth. And, and this is what's happening with the people of, of God, the Israelites. They begin mixing things together, saying, this is what we desire for our own life. Not taking God's word as God's word and saying, this is what God desires of us, the creator of all things. This is what he desires of us. But instead, we begin mixing things of the world together, saying, hey, this, this seems right. This feels good. This tastes good. I, I want to continue living this way. And so Zephaniah really preaches against that. He preaches against uh, worshiping things like the moon and the sun, things that God has created, a good thing, a thing that's used often, but we begin worshiping those good things instead of the greatest thing who is, who is God. We begin worshiping things that he created, created things, and Romans 1 talks about this often. Uh, we begin worshiping things that were created instead of the creator, creator God. A little side note, did you know NASA has recorded what the sun sounds like? You can go to NASA's website and listen to what the sun sounds like. And it's interesting because the NASA guy that, that discovered this, and he has some long uh, title to his name, uh, he said, it's, it's a really a soothing sound. You mean this giant ball of fire that if we even get close to burns us in any form or fashion? 
it's going to give us this soothing sound. And so now people have this like on, on repeat on their, in their earbuds or listening to it at home, the sound of a soothing sun. And I don't know if there's anything to that, but I just thought it was interesting. People began worshiping then, 620 BC, a year, 600 years before Christ, worshiping things of this world, worshiping created things, worshiping even good things, but not worshiping the greatest things. Uh, Zephaniah also preaches against or prophesies against the fact that they were worshiping God. Great, we're excited for you, but you're also worshiping uh, the Baals. You're also worshiping other false idols. You're mixing the two. Uh, you're, you're no longer just worshiping God, as the Ten Commandments have said, as God has decreed to us, but instead you're worshiping God and other things. Do you know people like that today? Are there people in our midst right now that do the same thing? Then another thing that he preached against, Zephaniah prophesied against, is the fact that people turned aside from following God and sought their own ways. They no, they no longer inquired of the Lord. I've got this figured out on my own. I no longer need to seek the Lord or, or seek what He desires of me or inquire of Him. Instead, I'm just going to, I'm going to listen to my own thoughts, my own feelings, my own heart, decide for myself in which direction that I should live. I mean, how many of you have done this before? I mean, and not calling you out as a sinner or a saint, but just think about for a moment, maybe just a few days ago, you thought, hey, a new year. I kind of want to do some things different this year. And as you're thinking through those things, are you inquiring of the Lord? Are we just going off our own feelings, our own, uh, our own uh, energy, our own thoughts, our own um, ideas? The only th- the things that we like to invest in, the, the rewards that we want to get, or the goals that we set so that we can be appraised with whatever the scenario may be. Do we actually inquire of the Lord? Do we seek Him? Do we seek after what He might desire of us? If you did, great. I'm, I'm proud of you. The Lord's proud of you, we could say. That we're seeking after him. But many people don't do that. Even the people belonging to God, Zephaniah has to preach against him. Hey, you're not inquiring of the Lord anymore. Instead, you're trying to do things on your own. So 600 plus years before Christ comes upon the, the scene, uh, we have this great prophet, Zephaniah. Short book, uh, full of great gloom and doom and wrath and anger and fury, but also this great song that happens there in in chapter 3, verse 17. So let's start together. Zephaniah chapter 1, starting in verse 2, says this, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth. Happy New Year to everyone. (laughs) I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Has he singled out anyone? As he said, I will utterly sweep away only the Thackersons because their last name is Thackerson and they can't stop growing beards. No. He says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. So there's no getting away from the Lord. There's no exemption here. There's no, yeah, but I'm this person, or yeah, but I was a part of the Israelites, or I'm Jewish, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, but I've been Baptist since Baptist began. Whatever the case may be, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. He's speaking directly to these people belonging to him, to the Israelites, who thought that they had they had it all made. They thought that, hey, they're the people belonging to God. They have the right names. Uh, they have the right uh, history, uh, family history. They have all these things. God has called them his people from, from the get-go. And so they think all these things are good. Everything's right. And then Zephaniah begins with, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Yeah, but not us, right? Verse 3, I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. 
and the rubble with the wicked, I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I'm going to sweep away everything. I'm going to destroy everything. Beast, men, birds, fish, the stumbling blocks, the rubble that's in the way of even the wicked. I'm going to cut off everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. It's a gloomy day, a day of destruction, a day of desperation, a day of even depression, we could say. This moment where the prophet speaks up and says, hey, here's the word from the Lord. And it's not necessarily good news. Verse 4, I will stretch out my hand against Judah. Now it gets real personal, real specific. The people belonging to God and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Yeah, but these are the chosen places. Judah's the chosen tribe. Judah's the, the, the folks that are belonging to the Lord. You're even, you're even going to destroy these people whom, whom you say are your people? Why would you do that, Lord? What, what has caused you to desire, what has caused the desire in you to, to act this way? I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous, idolatrous priest along with the priest. Verse five says this. I will do all this because this is what's happening. Those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet also swear by Malcolm. Those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of Him. So the Lord is speaking of this cleaning up or cleaning out, this understanding that folks have fallen away from following God. They're not seeking Him anymore. They've turned their back on following the Lord. They swear yes to the Lord, but they also swear to, to other things, to other false idols. They begin to worship created things and Things that may seem good, but, but aren't the greatest thing. And in that, the Lord must act upon sin. He must act upon the sin that's, that's happening. And he's saying His wrath is coming. He's going to utterly destroy everything from the face of the earth. It's an extremely gloomy day. Verse 7 says this, Hush, or be silent before the Lord. So you hear what's going to happen? So what should we do? We should hush. We should be silent. We should listen for the Lord. When you reach that moment in your life where you recognize that this world is broken, that things are not correct, that sin seems to be reigning even in your own life, what should you do? Be silent before the Lord. Hush for a moment. Listen to what the Lord may have to say. Be silent before the Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated His guest. So it's almost like this shift for a second here. We almost see this shift of a gloomy day shifting to a grace-filled day from gloom to grace. He says this, he says, For the day of the Lord is near, yet the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. And as we're reading backward, we get to see the whole story of how God is working. We know about the ultimate sacrifice made in Christ. But for these folks hearing this, they say, great, there is a sacrifice. So I've sinned. I've rebelled against the Lord. The whole world is going to be destroyed because of my sin, let's say. Because of sin that's ruling over the earth. And so what must happen? A sacrifice must be made. Can anyone make that sacrifice? Is anyone going to stand up and offer the sacrifice for the Lord? Is anyone worthy of even doing that? Verse 7 says, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. And consecrated his guest. It's the Lord working. 
You say often here that Christ's completed work exists for us. And so because of that, we exist for Christ. Christ has completed the work. He has done the ultimate sacrifice. God has done that for you and for the rest of the world so that you don't have to work and try and complete that ultimate sacrifice. Instead, God has provided it for us. He has done the work. Verse 8, And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. Remember, Zephaniah comes from kind of royal lineage. He, he knows about what it looks like to be a, a part of a king's palace. He understands this. And as he's preaching this or, or saying these words to the people, he gets it. And, and guests that have come to the king's palace but yet weren't invited. And they leaped over the threshold. They tried to find their own way in instead of the, way of the, uh, instead of the master's way or the king's way. And then he knows about people who came to the house and began filling the house with, with things that the, the house shouldn't be filled with, with violence and fraud. Things that you, you, don't, you, you wouldn't want at your own house. You wouldn't want to welcome folks to your house and say, hey, please be a part of all this sin and welcome it into your home. Instead, you say, hey, remove sin as before you enter my home, please leave sin at the door. Don't enter into the house with this sin. God is acting. He sees sin entering into his own house, reigning and ruling, violence, fraud, people leaping over the threshold without, without proper permission. And so on that day, the Lord says, I will punish. On that day, on that day, over and over again, we see this day of judgment coming. Verse 10, on that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate. A wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. So basically God is saying, everyone is going to hear this day. They're all going to hear it. They're going to hear the cries, the moaning, the wailing. They're going to hear this loud crash. Everyone will hear what's going on. Verse 11, wail, O inhabitants of the mortar. For all the traitors are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. Verse 12, at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent. Stop there for a second. And look at this. God is saying, at that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. This is how terrible sin is. The Lord is saying that sin is so terrible that He will use a flashlight and search out every corner of Jerusalem trying to find sin. Does the Lord need to do that? No. He has all power. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. But he's making this point here in this book of poetry, we could say, at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps. I will look the deepest, darkest places so that I can find the sin and remove it. The Lord was serious about this. Serious enough to say, I'm going to search every dark corner, every place, every person, every place, every person, every heart. I'm going to find sin. Sin needs to be punished and removed. I'm going to find it. I'm going to search Especially with those, he says, and I will punish the men who are complacent. Who have been sitting around, drinking on the dregs of their wine, getting thick-skulled, thick-minded, hardened in their heart, who have become complacent. Those, he goes on to say, who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. 
What are these complacent men saying about their sin, but also about the God? He's not going to do anything. I mean, yeah, he's the Lord. They say that the Lord, he's not going to do good, nor is he going to do bad. He's just really not going to do anything. And I would say this, Christian, a saint this morning, how often have you said that even in your own life? And we know that the Lord can act, and we've seen throughout history how he has, has acted, and we know how serious he is about sin, but I'm going to continue living the way I want to live with the insurance of Christ sacrifice being my salvation, I'm still going to live the way that I want to live and hope that at some point God will see how good I am and bless me despite my sin. We have this attitude, this complacent attitude, this thick skull, hardened heart. Will Will the Lord really do anything? Will he do good? Will he do ill? I've had this in my own life as a confession of sin just to you. I've had many moments in my life, even recently here, where I've thought, is the Lord actually going to act upon His promises? Is He going to do the things that He says He's going to do? Is He going to continue to keep the promise and be merciful and compassionate? Is He going to be patient with us? Is He going to discipline us with righteousness in mind? Or is He going to be an ogre? Is He going to be an unkind father who continues to Talk about wrath and destruction, wanting to punish even those who seem good, even those who seem religious. We grow complacent in that, wondering, is God actually going to to act? And here we are, decades after Christ has ascended into heaven, and I wonder, are we as the church, not just First Lovington, but we as the church, are we growing complacent, thick-skulled, hardened hearts, thinking, is the Lord really going to do something? Do we really see the day approaching? Maybe it's the day of, of the time that you expire upon this earth and get to go into heaven or the day that Christ returns. Do we really think those days will happen or that day will happen? And if it, if we do believe it, what in our life shows that? What proves that? How are we living that signifies that Christ is it, that he will return, that he is ruling and reigning? We have to really look introspectively at our heart and we have to decide, will the Lord do good? Will he keep his promises like he says he will? If you grow complacent, thick-skulled, hardened heart, and if you have the attitude of these men, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill, your life is only going to be full of gloom because you have hope in nothing. You don't have hope in a merciful, sovereign God You don't have hope in a merciful, sovereign Savior, Christ, but instead you're hoping in nothing. The Lord Himself, Yahweh, will He even do anything? And so we live a life of gloom, of doom, of wrath, of destruction, of anger, of fury, of unsatisfaction, going from one thing to another, thinking that at some point this toy that we have will satisfy our needs. What does it say? Verse 13, their goods shall be plundered and their houses laid waste. Why? Because goods were good things that they became, that they made great things and worshiped them. The goods shall be plundered and their houses laid waste, but not my house. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them, but I built it. Can I please live in it? Though they plant vineyards and they shall not drink the wine from them, but we planted all these seeds. Can we please have a harvest and take part in the harvest? 
All these things that we find that are good, but we make them great and worship them instead of worshiping the Creator God. Verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. Zephaniah, when he's prompted by God to say these things and even write them down, in verse 14 here, the great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. He said it repetitively. Hey, you guys need to know the day is near. It's near. It's near. It's hastening fast. It's going to come. It's, it's, it's upon us. It's approaching us. Be ready. The sound of the, of, the, of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. Be ready for this day as it's approaching. Spend every waking moment, every moment above the earth, not below it, but above it. Spend every waking moment living as Christ is ruling and reigning, not as a day that gloom and wrath and destruction reigns, but instead live as the day approaches with the hope and the security of a sovereign Savior Jesus. Verse 15, a day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities, against the holy or against the lofty battlements. You had this day just recently when it was bitter cold and the sun didn't shine and you thought for a second, when will this day ever end? If I wanted to live in darkness and gloom and clouds and thick darkness, I'd move to Houston or Seattle. I live in southeastern New Mexico. It's like heaven. I'm tired of this ruin and devastation and darkness and gloom. I'm tired of the clouds and the thick darkness. When will this day end? This gloomy day of destruction. And we just sang about this. The resurrection of Jesus from the grave. A conquering of death. A conquering of sin where gloom no longer reigns, but instead grace fills the entire earth. Verse 17, I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind, because they have sinned against the Lord. So what is God speaking of now? If I can't get your attention by taking your stuff, I'm going to take, I'm going to take your, your physical life. I'm going to show you who's in control. I will bring distress upon mankind so that they shall walk like the blind. Have you said it before? I wish I had the same sight I used to have. I wish I could see like I used to see. I'm tired of not being able to see. I'm I'm tired of being blind or trusting in things upon this world, trusting in our own eyesight. If I had the strength and the eyesight that I used to have, because they have sinned against the Lord, their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. It's disgusting. Things that we put our trust in, our strength, our sight. Then he goes on to say in verse 18, Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. So not your sight, not your strength, your flesh, not your silver, not your gold, not your houses, not your harvest, not your good, not your bad. None of that will be able to stand or deliver you or anyone on the day of the wrath of the Lord. So what should we do? Where should we put our trust in this day of gloom? What what happens when all we see is gloominess and destruction? What should we begin to ask ourselves? I've written some questions for you. You can write these down if you'd like. When you feel gloomy with sin, particularly, 
or gloomy because of life's circumstances or because things aren't the way that they should be, begin by asking yourself, why is it gloomy? Why is it gloomy? Why are we at this place? Why are we here? Why are the clouds over us? Why does it seem dark? God is talking here in Zephaniah about sin ruling and reigning. About folks not worshiping Him, but, but instead worshiping things of this world. So you have to ask yourself, when it seems gloomy and it seems as if sin is ruling and reigning even in your own life, or someone else's, or maybe, maybe it's not reigning in your life and you know that, so you get to help somebody. You ask them, why is it gloomy? When did you stop trusting the Lord? Where is your identity at this moment? Who are you? Where is God in this gloominess? Who or what is your treasure? Who or where will your, will your help come from? And I'm going to repeat one question because I think it's probably the most important. Where is God in this moment of gloom? Think about it here with the people belonging to God, the Israelites, and Zephaniah's preaching this or prophesying this. He's sharing the words of the Lord, and they're hearing about this anger. They're hearing about in, in verse 18, in the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. So they're thinking, where is this God, this kind Father, this Yahweh, the Lord of all? Where is he as he's given these words to Zephaniah to be spoken to us? Where is he at this moment? Where is he in this gloomy, dark, devastating, distressful, depressing, anguish-filled moment? Ask yourself that same question this morning. Where is God? Is he still ruling? Is he still reigning? Is he still in control? Chapter 2 begins with this. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation. Before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, verse 3, seek the Lord, all you humble of the, of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility, perhaps you may be hidden. We have this moment of change that's coming where this gloomy state that we're living in full of destruction and despair in need of in need of deliverance we see this moment where gloom can can be moved to to grace where people can hear the words and say let's seek the lord let's humble ourselves and not let pride rise up but instead let's seek the lord let's seek his righteousness let's seek his humility Perhaps then we may be hidden in him. The name Zephaniah means Yahweh hides or Yahweh treasures. That we would hide in him. That our life would be in him. That the gospel is Jesus in my place and my life in him. That his righteousness covers me and I'm hidden in him. And so as I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, God sees only Christ and no longer me or my sin. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It's gloomy news of destruction and wrath to grace-filled news of Christ ruling and reigning over us. Deuteronomy chapter 4 says this, the Israelites knew it. When they heard Zephaniah say, seek the Lord, seek, seek his righteousness, seek his humility, they may have thought about this. But from, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 29 through 31. But from there you will seek the Lord, your God, and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart, 
and with all your soul. And when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you. He will forget the covenant, nor will he forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. All that God has said and promised, he will keep. And he's saying that we can seek and we can find him. Jesus clarifies this for us in Matthew chapter 6, which maybe you've read today in verse 33, that we would seek after him, his kingdom, his righteousness, and that all the things that are needed for this life will come through him. No longer satisfied with things of this world, but instead seeking God and God alone. I want to end this morning by having you turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Because this word that was spoken through Zephaniah was to the Jews, to the Israelites. My assumption this morning is that no one in this room is a Jew or an Israelite. Maybe you can trace your, maybe you can trace your ancestry back to there. But most of us are probably Gentiles, meaning that we've been adopted into God's kingdom through Jesus. And so where's our hope? I mean, if all this gloom and doom for the nation of Israel, all this wrath that he's talking about, the destruction, anger because of their sin, well, what about us? I think that um, 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Ephesians chapter 3 are, are great resources to, to look about, look on how God has grafted us into his, adopted us into his family, that if he has adopted us, Romans chapter 11, if he's adopted us into his family, he can also take us out if he so desire. Ephesians chapter 3, they're, they're kind of doomy, gloomy things to think about, but it should be grace-filled moments where we see, we see the gospel, Jesus in our place. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, and we'll read through the end of the chapter, letting this be our challenge and our hope. From gloom to grace, seeing the seriousness of sin, recognizing the seriousness of sin, seeing our incredible Savior and saying, every moment of my life for Him. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, this new covenant that we're celebrating, not by your last name or your ancestry, but instead through Jesus. Verse 21, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us seek Him with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. When the day seems gloomy, memorize this. He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but, ne- but instead encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day, the day of judgment, the day of Christ's return. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, 
there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled under the, underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We read that in Zephaniah. But I want to move you to grace. That we might respond to a compassionate, mercy-filled Savior. Who is not content with judgment. And said desires his people to be full of righteousness, covered in it. So recall the former days, verse 32. When after you were enlightened or heard about Christ, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. You remember that moment when you recognized the seriousness of sin and the incredible compassion of our Savior Jesus and nothing was going to stop you? Verse 33, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Why? For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Because you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Who is that? Possession you have is Jesus. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39. But we, and I'm going to say we, First Baptist Lovington, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls.